Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma. Welcome into another edition of Mind on My Money, presented by Pinnacle Trust. I'm Neil McCready. I'll be your host today, Martin Palomo, hosting as well. He is uh, at Pinnacle Trust, and uh, one of his colleagues there, Reed Davis, who's been with us several times on the podcast, will join as well. Obviously, the topic today, we're going to talk about the coronavirus, uh, the Fed, uh, cut rates uh, today by half a percentage point to uh, combat some of the slowdown from the coronavirus. We'll talk about uh, politics as the Democratic field has been uh, narrowed quite a bit. Super Tuesday is today. By the time you hear this, the results will probably have been in and reported and analyzed and talked about, but we'll talk about it a little bit today as it is starting to look like a two-man race for the Democratic nomination uh, between Joe Biden and uh, Bernie Sanders. So we'll get to all of those things in a little bit. First, let me tell you, I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900 is that number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote. The rest is completely up to you. You can shop that quote around, or you can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do, and that's hop into a Clark Ford today, 662 662- Two five seven nineteen hundred and Martin. Before we get going into uh, today's content, uh, tell the people a little bit about Pinnacle Trust and how they can get in touch with you all. Absolutely, <clears throat> appreciate you, Neil. Glad to be back on. Um, I think today is going to be uh, kind of a fun topic um, because we have, you know, a lot of fear and pandemonium uh, in the marketplace right now. And um, one of the things that we do with our clients is we try to talk you know, logic behind things versus allowing emotions to be a part of the decision-making process. And that's really, really hard to do in times like these when, you know, markets are kind of gyrating all over the place. You know, the the news outlets have something new and exotic to talk about. And of course, that has been the topic of conversation of almost any channel that you turn on. It has either been, you know, politics, talking about Bernie and Biden or um, we've been talking about, you know, the virus and really kind of, we wrote a blog, um, Reed and I wrote a blog that went out uh, last week, which folks can find on our website at www.pinntrust.com. Uh, you can click on the Knowledge Center. You can actually find our blog, which is called Pinnacle Insights. And then right underneath that is a link to the Mind on My Money podcast. But, you know, one of the things that we talked about was, um, you know, that this is a little bit of uh, unknown, there's some fear there. And, you know, one of the things that is uh, our job is to, to hold people's hands through all of this and to, you know, help them make informed decisions. Um, some people feel like they want to jump off of the cliff. Um, that is definitely not the right thing to do. So, you know, we kind of, we're going to hold people's hands through this process, make sure that, you know, if there are adjustments that need to be made, that there's sound reason and logic behind it. Um, you know, the best way to get in touch with us 
Uh, you can get us on three social media. We're really active uh, at Facebook. You can um, you can find us on our on our Facebook page, the at Pinnacle Trust, or on the podcast page, um, which is at uh, Mind on My Money Podcast. Our mom M O M M podcast. You can search Mind on My Money and find us. Um, you can get us the old fashioned way as well uh, through the telephone six zero one nine five seven. Zero three two three, and look if any of our listeners, um, you know, have events coming up or anything like that, and they need speakers, um, reach out to us. Uh, Reed or I are are happy to to come and talk at events as well. It doesn't necessarily have to be, um, you know, a financial focused event. It could be, you know, a a group meeting for a corporation, and they want us to calm the nerves of. Of, of their employees or or um, or staff we're happy to you know talk talk that as well so anyway just reach out to us on the phone for those 601-957-0323 appreciate you man okay let's start here uh and I'll, I'll i'm gonna i get to do the role that i'm best at i get to play the role of village idiot today and uh and i'm probably when you guys get jargony i'm gonna stop you uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Because this is, this is pretty big news today. I'm reading, I just pulled it up on Drudge Report. So before anybody thinks I have some agenda here, I'm just reading from the, the, what it pulled it up, CNBC, uh, dot com. Jeff Cox is the, uh, the author of this and it reads as follows. The federal reserve announced an emergency rate cut Tuesday of half a percentage point in response to the growing economic threat from the novel, uh, coronavirus the move was the first such cut since december 2008 during the financial crisis it comes amid a volatile patch on wall street and amid a steady stream of hectoring from president donald trump who has called for lower rates to stay competitive with policy at other global central banks the coronavirus poses evolving risk to economic activity the fed said in a statement in light of these risks and in support of achieving its maximum employment and price stability goals, the Federal Open Market Committee decided today to lower the target range for the federal funds rate. The uh, Fed has a press conference, blah, blah, blah. All right, so for the fellow fellow, uh, village idiot like me, what does this mean? Yeah, so I'll take I'll take the first um, I'll take the first swing at it because this is this is the area that I'm I'm the most responsible for on our team, which is, you know, fixed income. And, uh, and then Maeve is also, she sits, you know, with broad economics as well, but she's not here to talk. So, um, you know, one of the things that the fed, one of the tools that, that the federal reserve has in their belt is, um, the ability to use, um, interest rate, either, um, hikes or cuts to, uh, to do, to insert their will, um, or attempt to insert their will, you know, into the economy. And, um, we've actually kind of had both things, hikes and cuts happen in the last 24 months. And I'll talk, I'm going to talk at a real high level about what the impact is on financial markets so that, you know, it can help give listeners an idea of, so that they can also help, you know, think for themselves an idea of, of what's really going on here. So when the federal reserve cuts interest rates, um, it has an effect of, of stimulating the economy. So it's, you know, it's good for stocks, but it's also good for the consumer um, who might be, you know, refinancing debt, um, might be, you know, uh, you're buying a car, buying a house, frees up, it frees up 
cash flow to be able to go back into the economy. So, you know, let's just say that you had a, a home and your mortgage on the on the home was three and a half percent and you haven't refinanced in, you know, three years or four years. I can almost guarantee you and, you know, probably would be uh, good to call our our former guest, Michelle uh, Dugan, and let her, you know, give you uh, an exact amount or or any of your other local uh, originators. I bet I'm I'm willing to bet that a you know that you're going to end up with a lower interest rate uh, now if if you go ahead and refinance. So you know if you end up dropping your interest rate by you know a half a percent or three quarters of a percent or a full percent, that has a significant impact in your monthly payment on your mortgage. So let's just say that your monthly payment on your mortgage goes down by you know three hundred four hundred dollars because of a a simple refinance. Well, now you have an additional three hundred, four hundred dollars in your budget um, that is able to go to spending, and maybe it's you know not paying down other debts. Maybe it's uh, you know paying or paying for a you know a piece of equipment you needed at the house, or a new piece of furniture, or TVs, or something that that actually stimulates our economy. It puts cash back into the economy. So the same principle applies for businesses. You know, if businesses refinance their debt or the debt that they have is able, they're able to get at a lower rate, they're able to put more cash back to work, um, you know, more cash into the economy in the forms of buying new equipment, you know, hiring additional people. So, you know, the Fed does have a dual mandate, which is really two things to, you know, to keep inflation in check and, um, you know, and to keep, you know, unemployment at a reasonable rate. So, you know, they're, they're checking the box by, um, you know, with a stimulation of keeping unemployment at a, at a low rate. And then also if, if interest rates are dropping, you know, inflation is not going to generally rise or, or get out of hand. So I said all that to say, you know, that's how, that's how the impact to, um, you know, to the consumer is positive by a Fed rate cut. Now to markets, I'm going to let, I'm going to let Reed talk about how it impacts markets. But before he does that, I'm going to talk about the other piece. Um, you know, the, the average consumer probably does not pay attention to the federal reserve, but investment professionals do. Um, and you know, we kind of have three rules of investing that we follow, um, with, with portfolio construction and, one of those rules is don't fight the Fed. So if the Fed is cutting rates, which is what we call easing, so they're making um, you know equity or stock markets uh, uh, an easier, more viable growth um, opportunity for your money, we don't fight that. So don't fight the Fed is rule number one. Rule number two is you know the trend is is your friend, and and our trend has been positive for market growth, even though we've had you know, uh, a lot of choppy markets in the last seven days, that trend has still been relatively positive. Um, you know, we haven't seen this huge break in, in fundamental economics. Like there hasn't been something come out where we said, where they say, Hey, the, the economy has fundamentally changed, not from an emotion standpoint, but from a fundamental standpoint, we haven't seen that yet. That's some of the fears that people have about the virus with contagion is that it will have a fundamental impact um, on on economies, and we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show as well. Um, so you know those two things are are important. You know, don't fight the Fed, 
if the Fed is making um, the policies easier for stocks to grow, you don't you don't fight them. Um, that's generally a, a pretty bad a pretty bad bet. They'll you you will get run over and your portfolio will will get hurt pretty bad. Um, so I know I've talked a whole lot. I'm probably you know boring some people to to death about that. But Reed, talk about the impact of a of a Fed cut for you know for stocks and for portfolios, and then maybe we can talk about why the half a percent cut was a deviation from what you know they've been doing and let me normally. and let me add something to what you're asking him because uh, yeah. I'm reading another story. Trump has uh, the word that is used here is demanded. That feels like that's a bit of a uh, it's a little bit of, of literary license being taken by the author, but he has certainly requested that the Federal Reserve cut rates even more than the uh, 50 basis points. He says, uh, we're not playing on a level field. This is quoting the president, not fair to USA. It is finally time for the Federal Reserve to lead more easing and cutting. That was in a uh, that was in a tweet this morning at 9.51 on March the 3rd. So is, is, is it realistic that there will be even more, as the president calls it, easing and cutting? Yeah, hey, what's up, Neil? Um, so the answer to that question is yes. I mean, I think that the Fed in their announcement today indicated that they probably, um, we should expect to see a couple more 25 basis point rate cuts over the following 36 months. But that, beside the point, you know, the, the question, the original question is, is you know, why is Donald Trump doing that and and is it realistic? The, the answer is, is that Donald Trump, this is part of his election. I mean, this is a, this is a re-election ploy. I mean, he... You know, Donald Trump knows better than anyone that people vote with their pocketbooks, and he knows better than anyone that if the economy's strong in November, he's got a really good chance to win. And so, you know, pushing the Fed to continue to lower rates is a further stimulus on the economy, which is a further feather in Donald Trump's pocket. And so um, he's been pushing this for a while, and, and he's comparing us to the rest of the world because simply, you know, Japan, most of Europe have rates significantly lower than ours. And that's just a result from the 2008-9 financial crisis. We, over the past you know 12 years, have increased rates back to still historical lows, but not you know not as low as the rest of the world. Right. Um, and so he's saying, get on board with the rest of the world. We're the only ones that have high rates. You're slowing down my economy. You know, help me out. So that's that's the answer to that question. The answer to the the the, the Fed rate cuts on the stock market is is. It's either the most complicated thing you can talk about or the simplest thing you can talk about. Um, from the complicated part, I'll just try to, to summarize it. When, when you calculate the valuation for stocks, the very first part of that calculation is what is the risk-free rate. The risk-free rate is the rate that you can put a dollar into somewhere and get back knowing that you're not going to lose it. The, that rate is generally tied back to U.S. government rates because they can just print more money. And so U.S. government rates are tied to the Federal Reserve rate, which means that if rates are low, the valuation for stocks are higher. So when when interest rates are low, people tend to pay more for stocks than they do otherwise. Um, it's, a, it's a long calculation. I don't think anybody wants me to go through it. But basic point is, is that when the Federal Reserve cuts rate, it props up the stock market. Correct. And it does that from a valuation standpoint. And it also does it from the simple standpoint that if you have $1,000 and interest rates are 1% versus interest rates at 4%, you're making a, you're making a hundred, I mean, a $10 on your money versus $40 on your money. Right. So it does force 
and Reed is correct. So it forces folks who have been, um, you know, investors in CDs only, or you know, um, and let's and remember, there used to be, there was a time not too too long ago when folks could get a five percent CD. I mean, that was two thousand seven. Well, when rates got cut in two thousand eight to near zero, those those CD investors no longer were able to get a five percent, and so so for some of them. You know, that was a meaningful piece of income. So, you know, someone who had a million dollars in CDs at 5% earned $50,000 a year in interest off of that. Well, when CD rates went to a half a percent, you know, instead of earning $50,000 on their CD rates, now they were earning $5,000 a year. So they could no longer live off of that income from their CDs. So what did that force them, excuse me, what did that force them to do? It forced them to go out and find income somewhere else. And most of those investors were only able to find income, you know, in the forms of dividends from stocks. So then there was a lot of demand for stocks because really it was a demand for income and that pushed the market up. So the demand for this, it really wasn't a demand for risk of the stocks. It was the demand for the income from dividends from stocks because they couldn't get it in their CDs. So that's also what happens when the Fed pushes rates down. Again, it forces people who were in safe investments, but they're low interest investments. They have to either make it, they have to make a decision. Do I just take a cut in my paycheck or do I go back or do I go to stocks like, you know, an AT&T uh, that's going to pay a five, 6% dividend and is a, you know, you would think a reasonably strong bell bellwether type company you know do i go to put my money in at&t and get a five six percent dividend and income from that so it's you know it it is a real uh, it's a real impact in people's lives especially as it comes to you know income and retirement years uh because you know people who were used to that five percent cd rate through retirement that that's not even reality today yeah and i I think before we you know go into why they did it and the coronavirus and all that it's just it's important to it's important to note that this is this is really unprecedented. I mean, and I think that's the reason why it's such a big deal. That's why we're talking about it. The first part of this podcast was really wasn't going to be the topic of the podcast. Is that you know this is the first time since two thousand eight that they've done an emergency cut. Correct. And unlike two thousand eight, we haven't yet seen any economic impact. Right. No fractures in the economy yet. Right. And so that for the the fact that they have done it before we actually get recorded data coming back in saying that. You know, something's falling apart, you know, part of it, I think their intent is to say, hey, look, we got your back. But I think part of it makes me go, do you know something I don't know? Yeah. Well, I think think they do know that there's a real possibility that if you look at airline stocks, they're down. Uh, If you look at uh, the the tourist market, the the summer is probably going to get hit hard. there's a chance that sporting events are are going to be uh, either canceled or uh, fans aren't going to be allowed in the buildings. They're going to play them unattended. Just the players. Basically, things are going to be quarantined. Uh, you know, I I have until today just sort of dismissed the whole thing as man. The media is really overplaying this. I was talking to my brother today, who's. Uh, a little more progressive than than I, and uh, he's in St. Louis today. Travels a lot, and he just says it's going to be it's going to be really bad. That the World Health Organization says it's going to be really bad. They don't have a bias. That it's going to be really bad, and this 
from listening to you guys talk and, and kind of reading a little bit as as you all talk, I just pulled up another story that we'll talk about a little bit later in the show that's sort of related to this. It it makes me think that yes, insiders and I'm not doing the, the this is everybody's bashing Trump for this. This is not about one person. I don't care what is what 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 is what is job this is not one person. It tells me that insiders feel like there's a real chance that this becomes enough of a pandemic that it uh, affects our society and culture to the point that it will uh, hit the markets hard. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to give you I've, I've, I'm loaded full of stats today, um, and I'm going to give you one too, Neil. And it's one that we don't have to go real far back to remember. Um, do you remember in 2009 swine flu, the H1N1? Yeah, of course. So it was. I mean, it was that was a really, really that was a big deal. Um, so the just real quick stats. This is all from the World Health Organization, the WHO, that non-biased entity. Um, cases for um, for H1N1 was 1.6 million cases. Um, direct deaths from H1N1 was at 284,000, so fatality rate or mortality rate of 17.4%. And it was in 214 countries. Um, I also read that they really think the real death uh, toll was was closer to 550,000. But the but they know for sure reported direct deaths of 284,000. So that was sick. Uh, and I'm I am not downplaying this at all. All I'm saying is we've actually been there before, and we've been there before, you know, several times. And that was the last big one, the H1N1 in 2009 but since then you've also had you know MERS we've had um, you know we've had Ebola in 2014 uh, Zika in 2016 and so you know I'm I'm certainly not downplaying that that there's a real you know a real potential of of some contagion here Um, and if you look at the stats the Chinese have really not released a ton of information on all of the people that it impacted in China, you know, what were their ages? Oh, we, we, um, fi- we were finally getting the first report. I actually heard, I was listening to the news this morning okay. and, uh, and I don't know that it's, I don't know that they're publicly putting it out, but there has been a release of some information that broke down the Chinese victims, basically. Awesome. Um, so essentially, you know, and it, it really kind of nailed to your point, I, you know, just playing golf this weekend or just talking with friends at lunch. You know, I get a lot of half the people say, should I sell all my stocks? And half the people should say, you know, this thing's, Do I buy more? this is the, this is a cold, right? This is a flu. This is not a big deal. And I kind of, you know, wasn't, I mean, really informed enough to answer that question. I mean, I, you know, we don't know the stats yet. And so, and, f- and we're not medical professionals yeah, either. We're right. just finance guys. And so, so and this will go into a two part, two part comment, but just from a pure health standpoint, it is actually a lot more serious than the flu coming from those statistics. So right. um, 30 to 40 year olds have a one in 500 chance of dying. Okay. That's not bad. That's about like the flu in general. Um, the, the flu has a point of one in a thousand chance of dying just on average. So twice um, the flu. Yeah. So it's twice the flu. Um, and that's not even breaking out age groups. That's just general population. So the, so a 30 to 40 year old has a one in 500 chance. 40 to 60 year old has about a one in 200 chance, which is it's five, pretty real. Yeah, it's, 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 that's realistic. That's, that's a, realistic. That's, that's a bigger uh, number than the flu. Get this 60 or above 6% chance of dying. 
which yeah. is significantly higher, than, yeah. significantly yeah. higher than the flu. I mean, so so yeah, you see people kind of panicking. Well, I mean, if you're over sixty years old, you got a one in two hundred chance of dying. Yeah, and if you have a compromised immune system or you know already some type of respiratory respiratory or pulmonary issues, like it's and I think those the cases that they've reported out of Washington, uh, Washington State was you know has confirmed that as well uh, that you know those and they had. I think there was four more reported yesterday morning, or maybe it was this morning. I'm getting confused on my days. I can't remember when I read what I read. Well, I mean, if you just break it into the the actual death rate, you know, flu is 0.1%. The coronavirus is taken somewhere around two. So it's it's roughly 20 times worse than the flu. Right, right. But so then if you go back to, to H1N1, which was, you know, an, a 17%. So, so... What would the math? I'm terrible at public math. Would that be seventeen hundred thousand times more deadly than than the flu? H1N1. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and and that was legit too. I mean, that was for real. Uh, and I mean, and it and it spread across the world. I mean, two hundred fourteen countries. Um, and I think right now we're at what twenty countries or so that um, where there's where there's popped up and and you know and there's still a lot to be determined. And, you know, one of the things I it kind of sounds really flippant when they said it. They said, uh, you know, and I think it was actually, I'm not even going to attribute to who it was, but it was saying, Hey, when, when it warms, when warm weather comes, you know, this thing will, will subside a little bit. And I'm curious, you know, if, and I haven't seen, are there, have there been cases in Florida? Have there been cases in San Diego? You know, uh, I would think those are rather warm weather. Uh, there is a case in Florida. I don't know where. I just saw the picture of the map this morning. Sure, yeah. you know, and so maybe maybe warm weather helps a little bit. Maybe it doesn't. I have no idea. I'm definitely not a doctor, and not pretending. I I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, and I'm not I'm not going to pretend to be a doctor today. Well, you know, and, and Neil, the the question goes back to what does it mean? Yeah, how's I mean, it impact you know, market? And so, and the and the and before we get into whether or not we think it's justified or fair, I mean, it's it's important to note that if 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 the coronavirus stayed in China, which was originally kind of, you know, China has a br- outbreak of coronavirus. Um, this is going to affect U.S. supply chains. You know, in that scenario, it's really just not that big of a deal. It's, it's just not. I mean, 3% of S&P 500 revenues come from China. Yes, it, it impacts supply chain management in the short term, but it's nothing we can't get past or haven't been through. Um, but we had a practice run at what to do with supply chains when Trump was threatening all the tariffs for on China and a lot of those large multinational companies said, holy crap, you know, if, if it becomes significantly more expensive for us to manufacture in China because of tariffs, we need to have backup plans. We need to have plan B's for, you know, do we go to the Philippines? Do we go to Malaysia? Do we go to Taiwan? Do we go to Singapore? You know, do we go to India? Do you think that, you know, Trump's trip to India at, you know, in between the announcement of coronavirus and, you know, and it getting to the U.S. was was like accidental trip. No, I don't think so. I think that was very intentional with, you know, hey, if we have to move some manufacturing facilities to China, are we going to have, I mean, to India, from China to India, are we going to have, you know, any blockades or, you know, headwinds? I'm, I wasn't privy to those conversations, but I know if I was Trump, those were the, those would be the conversations I would have been having, having with Modi saying, Hey, dude, we might have to move over here. Do you bless this deal? Sure. Um, and and 
Neil, I'll get your opinion, but it, it then goes back to, okay, well, this is clearly probably not, you know, going to stop in China. So how big of an impact does it have in America? And do we actually have what you mentioned earlier, the, uh, you know, sporting events canceled or, or, you know, no crowd, uh, trains canceled. I mean, if it really impacts the economy to that degree, well, yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, GDP goes negative. Absolutely. We, we, we go into a recession, and um, this is for real. Yeah, because, I mean, really, the, the, the beacon of light here is that the U.S. the U.S. consumer is still strong. But you're right. I mean, if the U.S. consumer freaks out, stops spending, and locks himself in their house, then there is. There's some... There's some real impact there. I think that's the concern. I mean, you already have people. The NCAA tournament starts in what a couple of weeks and uh, 16 days, I think, is when the the first games begin. And there's already some calls for the NCAA to hey, don't don't let people in the buildings. I don't think that's going to happen. But the fact that sure. that's even being discussed is uh, tells you something is noteworthy. Yeah. I mean, I think you know we're about to well, have- you know, in in the. Uh- you know, last week in the markets, obviously we were we didn't sleep last week, but you know, the truth is is that the chaos in the markets, at least from my perspective, and I, and I think Martin agrees with this, is really somewhat justified. And and I and I know that might surprise some of our listeners, but you know, when you think about what global financial markets actually are, it's a forward indication of what the economy or what companies are going to earn ten years from now, um, five, ten, one, ten, five years from now, and so. You sit around and say, you know, what impact does the coronavirus have on the U.S. market, the European market, the Asian market? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, is it do 20 million people get it or do 15,000 people get it? I mean, so it's it turns into one of those scenarios where we're, we're already above. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I've been in America, but, but, you know, you turn it, it turns into one of those scenarios where. You know, you see the markets, you know, go 15% down from the top to back up 5% yesterday. There's swinging down one and a half today after a Fed cut. Um, you know, honestly, I think it's justified. You're trying to measure, you have analysts all around the world. Some of the smartest people in the world are in this business. They're trying to measure what the economic impact will be looking years out from now. And the answer is, is that no one knows. And so you, every bit of news you get, you see volatility Yep. And, and, and to, to make that more complicated, you really have two types of investors in this world. You have retail investors, which is you, Neil, moving money in your 401k to cash because you don't like the market. And there's institutional investors, which are your hedge funds, your pension funds. And so yeah, your big endowments, your, your big endowments. And so what ends up happening is, is that the retail market is, you know, causing a lot of the chaos, making the moves. And at some point, you know, the, the, the institutional investors are a little bit more um, non-emotional objective would be <laughs> yes. the best word for it. Uh, and they sit there and say, OK, at 15 percent down, we're, we're well, this buy. is this is an entry point. We're, we're in. Right. Well, and so one of the things I want you to talk briefly about and just real quick. So I fully expected when we looked at markets that the emerging markets like that are China and India, were going to be bludgeoned like blood in the streets. And I expected that the U.S. market would have held up better, and I would have expected developed Europe and developed Asia would have would have would have held up better than than China, the epicenter of this. Talk a little bit about what the real scenario is. Well, so the real scenario is that the markets are actually somewhat moving together. I mean, there's I think there's top to bottom 
300 basis points from emerging markets indices to so that means for our average listener three percent yeah three yeah. percent sorry so so there's basically it means that the world markets are moving together but what what investors are basically betting is that this is a global crisis or it's not right and so timing this thing is is a sucker's game so if you know people are out there listening trying to trying to time this market it's a this is not and this is not a uh, an, an area where you want to try to try to time because if you think that the markets are going to drop and then go back up they can continue dropping more so uh, really to listeners out there the best thing that that folks can do for their portfolios is have a well diversified portfolio so you have a mixture of stocks bonds and cash and if you have access like our clients do to alternative investment strategies which are kind of really insurance on those risky assets, those are good things to have in the portfolio. But bonds have performed really, really well during this time period. They've Bonds are positive while stocks are negative. So diversification matters and it matters more now, you know, than it has in the last, what, 10 years, because the last 10 years we've had markets going straight up. Um, you know, diversification is important. That's the, that's what helps people sleep at night, knowing that they're not going to wake up the next day and their portfolio is, you know, all of their life savings is going to be at zero. Diversification is, is what, is what makes that possible. Yeah. I mean, I look at it and kind of think to myself, well, if the market's kind of bottom out a little bit it's going to be a, a real opportunity i'm, I'm going to stay in it's a real opportunity for for me to get stuff that at, at cheaper prices and and yeah, ride the rise ride the rise back up yeah if you're a long-term investor that's the right personality the right attitude to have and, you know and that's that's the way we're trying to look at this neil and that's the way that institution you know institutional investors look at this is it's not how bad does it have to get before i get in they they look at the numbers and objectively say you know, the market right now is pricing in that, that this coronavirus cuts U.S. earnings in 2020 by, you know, 15 to 20 percent or in 2021. And so do we really think the coronavirus is going to make a 20 percent negative impact on corporate growth in 2021 for the United States? And they're quantifying and saying, you know, it, you know, if that's 30, if it's 40, then no, I don't I don't think that happens. I mean, even people work from home, even if people, you know, telecommute or whatever they have to do they're still going to buy groceries they're still going to you know send their kids to well i guess they're not going to send their kids to camp but but you get the point that, that yeah they may not send their kids to camp they well send their I, th- kids to I think school. here's where some of the well you mentioned the key word i mean this is with the people that i think they're being dr- dramatic here i think this is you know but you hear some people say hey daycares all over the country are going to get shut down uh, play that i mean play yeah. that play that out in your mind, you know what I mean? And dude, I just don't know if, and I mean, I guess it could, but I don't know. See, man. this Daycare's gets, this gets already to, a Petri dish of <laughs> this gets to my, this gets to my political theory. I've, I've expressed this for a while and I'm in the media. One of the problems that, that one of the things that happens when as an entity, as a, and, and media has done this, when you lose the, the public trust is that no one knows who to believe anymore. Sure. And that's one of the things that's happened here. When you get away, it's so I, I get this. I get this from people all the time. Man, I wish you'd be an Ole Miss fan. Yeah, but if I'm a fan, I lose credibility. 
if I'm a, so that and, and and that's a very small scale. My point is, is when media becomes, I do, I do actually hear peer, people say that about you, Neil. They're like, well, Neil's not an Ole Miss fan, so he's more believable about Ole Miss. So if you have a if you have a media outlet that are outlets that consistently show objectivity, they report on stories like this, and whatever they facts they bring you, it's more believable. Right now, there are people out there that are saying, ah, uh, you know, it's it's not as bad or it is worse or whatever. But to finish my point. If if you let that trickle down, daycares close. Think about what that means for people who can't, you know, they have to stay home from work. And, uh, push it out where now a panic sets in over the summer and people say we're not going to open schools. Uh, you know, stuff like that. I don't think it's going to get to that place. But that's the concern, I think. And that's what I think. And I'm I'm not a financial expert at all. But I am a kind of a common sense guy, and I'm looking at this going, that's where this concern is about. This this concern is trying to keep money in the market, keep people from panicking, tell people, hey, it's going to be okay. Because if it if it's going to get really bad down the road, you 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 don't want the panic to set in before it's time to panic. Right. Well, yeah. and that's why it bothered that's why it bothered me specifically about the, the Fed, Fed today. cut. Yeah. I mean, if you're gonna do it, just wait until we get some indication that we're really getting to that point. Yeah, because today was a panic cut, and that was mine and Reed's. If you could have recorded our response when that news flashed across the screen, it's not. We would have to put explicit warning, explicit language on this podcast for <laughs> for what both of our responses was because it started with a what the yeah and. Because it was, but, good, it but, but to sense. Neil's point at the very beginning, the back, the we said that, and then the very next comment was, "Do they know something that we don't?" Know? <laughs> right. Well, that's the next question: is what do you know that I don't know? And you know, and there's been some, you know, uh, not conspiracy theory, but the way Trump handled the CDC with information, we're saying, all right, well, you know, you're not going to get to talk to the media anymore, and then the Fed comes out and cuts fifty bips. I'm kind of like, all right is there something, you know, is there something there? And that was, a, that was a legitimate thought that, that came across my mind. Now I am the eternal optimist and I'm also the, you know, the glass is not half full or half empty. The glass can be refilled and the glass can be full. It doesn't have to be half. Um, you know, that's kind of how I am, but, and it's weird cause I'm a bond guy, which bond guys are usually like doomsdayists and the, the stock guys are the ones that are, Hey, everything's great. And, the, you know, love and spend your money and travel and we didn't get the memo. We did not get the memo. Reed and I got our wiring is reversed. Uh, he's kind of the looks at things from a caution standpoint, and I'm a <laughs> I'm a jump I'm a jump into the to the water head first type guy. Well, but, he, um, I've I've always found people like me. I'm I'm one of the like I was telling you about my brother. I'm I'm the type that ah this is gonna be not gonna be that big of a deal. These things never get as bad as they as they say, and I catch sure. myself already saying, like you know, Carson, my son, and I, we always take a, a baseball trip every summer, and and he's got a flight credit, and we were going to fly somewhere, and now we're like, ah, maybe we'll just drive someplace. And do I really want to go uh, to a big city right now where I'm going to get exposed to a lot more stuff? Do I, do I really want to? I catch myself saying that, and I'm not saying I'm important. I'm not. My point is, is that if someone like me is thinking that, the people who are naturally more cautionary than me, oh, than, than I, follow, follow what I'm saying. I mean, they're, 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 they've already panicked. They're panicked. 
That's my point. Yeah. I'm not the type to panic until it's time to panic, and I'm not panicking, but I catch myself. My daughter Carol, attention. my daughter Caroline is flying to Orlando on Thursday to compete in the national dance competition with her high school, and I catch she, awesome. they're going to Disney World, and I catch myself already kind of concerned about. Ah, damn it. She's going to be around people from all over the world. I don't really like that. And normally, I wouldn't be that way. And my point is, if I'm thinking that way, the people... Somebody's not sending their kid. Yep. Yep. Well, we were joking because um, I was in Orlando three weeks ago, and and Jen Jen got the flu. Like, legit, she got the type A A flu. And... uh, while we were there and then so we came back and of course reed was messing with me about dude you brought you brought the coronavirus back <laughs> back with you and we were just joking but you know at some point if if there's not real-time information if there's if people feel like they're not getting ob- objectivity like you said and people feel like that you know that they can't trust what the media is telling them then they're going to take matters in their own hands and those matters are going to be a, a lot more protectionism than you know, then allowing themselves to be in a place where you know, they have higher chances for contracting something. So it's not far-fetched, man. I just hope we don't get there. Let's talk some politics in a minute. But first, let me tell you, this podcast is also brought to you in part by the refrigeration company, TRC, owned and operated by Jeremy Wattler. He's been in the refrigeration field for more than 20 years, including five years as a national service manager. At TRC, they understand that great service means being responsive, Their highly trained, responsible, and dedicated staff are available 24-7 to ensure your complete satisfaction. TRC specializes in ammonia refrigeration, but they also work on any other HFC, HCFC, or CO2 systems. They're building winning relationships with customers in baking, cold storage warehouses, ice production facilities, and facilities serving dairy, food, poultry, and catfish processing. They're based in Alabama, but they're licensed in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, and South Carolina as well. They can handle all of your company's refrigeration needs, including installation, fabrication, service, compressor rebuilds, ammonia detection calibration, vibration analysis, and more. To learn more, call Jeremy Wattler at 251-348-8533 or email him at jeremy at com. You can also follow them at The Refrigeration Company on Facebook or at their website, therefridgeco.com. Podcast is also sponsored by Elite Dental Care with offices throughout West Tennessee. In Germantown, Jackson, and Trenton, Elite Dental Care has five doctors with more than 75 years of combined experience. And with their different areas of expertise, the doctors at Elite Dental Care offer convenience along with the latest in technology. In addition, Elite Dental Care is a family practice so the entire family can be seen no matter age or severity of problems. Elite Dental Care focuses on staying up to date on all the latest technology, including intraoral cameras, digital x-rays and impressions, 3D x-rays, and more. There are TVs and radios in every room, giving patients the comforts of home, all while they receive the most modern technological treatment. Elite Dental Care also offers both conscious sedation and IV sedation for patients that are anxious or scared, or for those that might not be fearful but just have a lot of work to do and can't afford to take time off work for multiple visits. With sedation, Elite Dental Care is able to get much more work done in one visit, which ultimately saves the patient time and money. So if you're looking for a dentist in West Tennessee or in the Memphis area, call Dr. Mark Harper, 
Dr. Clint Buchanan and Dr. Mike Farah at Elite Dental Care. It's EliteDentalCare.com or follow them on Facebook and or Instagram. So it's Super Tuesday. By the time people hear this, they're probably going to uh, know the results. It feels like a two-person race now. Uh, Buttigieg is out. Uh, Kobachar is out. That's not coincidence that they dropped out on the eve of uh, Super Tuesday, the Democratic Party. Obviously, in my opinion, I say obviously, in my opinion, very concerned that Bernie Sanders is on the precipice of a uh, yep. of a blowout sort of win that will wrap up the nomination. I think the Democratic Party is concerned that Bernie Sanders can't win a general election. They're pushing the chips, it appears to me, and you guys feel free to tell me in a minute that I'm crazy. It appears they're pushing all of the chips in on uh, on Joe Biden, who maybe is the one candidate uh, in their mind that, that could beat Trump. In a, in a general election, um, the polls are showing big bounces to Biden right now. Uh, and then there's an interesting story that's out. Uh, CNN's Paul Begala on uh, yesterday predicted that uh, along the lines of the coronavirus, he predicted that Trump will uh, blame Mike Pence, who he sort of put as the quarterback of the U.S. response to the coronavirus he will blame Pence for whatever is going wrong and that on July the 16th, which is the date that the Democratic nominee will give his or her acceptance address, the prediction from Bagala, who's been very good on predictions lately, he says that on that day, Donald Trump will announce that he is dropping Mike Pence from his ticket and putting Nikki Haley, the uh, governor of South Carolina, on that ticket. I think Reed and I both are like, Mine's blown. <laughs> Wait, is that really going to happen? <laughs> I mean, and, and Neil, I think for, you know, you are definitely a, a lot more politically savvy than than the two of us. Um, and man, that's, that's, that would be big news because I mean, I know that Pence was, was a, was a massive um, help to, to Trump picking up a lot of the, the evangelical Christian base. Um, that would be interesting to see. You know, I'm so full. I'm, I'm, well, I'm a little here, bit here's biased. What, here's on, what Nikki Haley would bring. She would would help with, God, and I hate this. It sounds so damn sexist, and I, I'm not one of those people at all. <laughs> I think but We the, talk reality here. I so. think the feeling is, whether it's Sanders or Biden, they're going to put a a, a female as a running mate. And I think Haley, in the eyes of some of the Republicans, might help counteract that with suburban moms, that kind of thing. Yeah, I was going to ask you. You know, when I got when I read the news about Buddha Judge, and is it Klobuchar? Yeah, Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar. And I, yeah. I believe and that, did, I believe she is. They the, promised both of them cabinet <laughs> positions. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I think uh, my guess my guess is that Klobuchar is going to be a running mate. Um, yeah, and and that there will be something for for Buttigieg. Yeah, I mean, who, hey, if you get out today, for Mayor well, Pete, I mean, let, hey, let's get real here. Let's get real here. I mean, obviously, the, the the next president appears is going to be either Donald Trump, Joe Biden, or uh, or Bernie Sanders. All three of those people have something in common. Trump obviously would not be they're allowed. Old white dudes. Yeah, they, they, well, Trump would. They're just old. They're old. I mean, Trump can't run for a third term. Um, yep. And then uh, realistically. I mean, 
Biden shows signs of of a man with with some mental deterioration, and and uh, and Sanders is is old. I mean, I, the odds of of any one of those three, one of those two people running for re-election are small, and the odds of of of, an, of the U.S. electing an eighty-something-year-old man is is virtually nil in my mind. So you know, if you're if you're Budacek, who had a had a decent run at it here, um. You know, you're you're a political strategist would likely tell him, "Hey, you did okay. You got out in time. You didn't get bludgeoned. Uh, keep your powder dry." Yeah, I'm. You know, and I, I, the the strategy behind politics too is is fascinating. Um, I mean, it's you know, it is it is a it is a real life game of chess, uh, and you know, and sometimes I think you're right. The for guys like Mayor Pete, who have uh, a really long runway for a political career ahead of him, you know, if his strategist probably was saying, "Hey, man, you know, you you name recognition is infinitely higher than it was prior to you went into Iowa, you slayed in Iowa, you slayed in New Hampshire. Um, you know, we are not hurt here. Let's let's bolt. Let's let the you know, the, the party do what the party needs to do for this year. And, you know, we're going to punt and, and you're going to be set for the future and total disclosure here. I am, I have major, major bias with, um, and it, and it really has more to do with heritage stuff than, than anything else, but with, with Sanders and I mean, I know he's on the democratic ticket. There is nothing about him that that says to me that he is a Democrat. There is everything about him screams that, you know, he has a lot of very, 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 very dark way left views on how society should be run, which reminds me of how, you know, my family had everything that they owned stolen from them, you know, in the fifties and sixties. And that scares the ever living crap out of me. And probably more so I'm more sensitive to it than maybe the, you know, the average American, but I mean, just so full disclosure, I have a, it's really hard for me to be objective about, about Bernie. Well, let me ask so. it this way. The markets, because we're a financial show, the markets are going to be calmer at the prospect of Biden winning than the prospects of Sanders winning, right? I mean, even the Washington Post, which is a traditional left-leaning mainstream media outlet, I I, I read it, uh, but but there's no doubt that they, they have a little bit of a, of a lean they came out with a, a very uh, excoriating uh, opinion piece on on what a President Bernie Sanders administration would look like, and it was yeah, it was I mean, very very negative. I, I would think the markets would look at Biden as more of a known quantity and say yep. probably be okay if 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 Biden gets it as opposed to Sanders, where you know Sanders some of his ideas are I think. I think even his supporters would have to admit are pretty radical. Yeah. I mean, shutting down. So, I mean, essentially if let's just talk about the, if Sanders was elected, got Congress and could do everything he wanted to do. Um, private health insurance companies are out of business a hundred percent. Like they, they don't exist anymore. Um, so, you know, they have uh, public education and I mean, government-funded education all the way through college. Someone is, is having to pay for that. But if we're 
killing jobs and we're killing the U.S. consumer, who who pays for that? And he has a vendetta against billionaires, um, you know, some of which, you know, I, I, I feel like Bernie, everyone is Bernie's enemy. He doesn't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. You're his enemy and he's going to take you out. Like he attacks, the, you know, the Democrat, the billionaire Democrats, his round table on Wall Street that are, I mean, you have massive, you know, big time CEOs that are Democrats, like the CEO of JP Morgan, um, you know, Jamie Dimon, Democrat, Bernie hates him. And I'm like, dude, like these guys are, these are your people, but Bernie's not a true Democrat either. I mean, he, he only became a Democrat what a last election cycle to be able to get on a ticket. Right. I mean, and if I'm wrong, you know, I, Neil, I think you're more educated about this, you know, jump in and correct me. So there is a lot of unknowns there. Um, you know, one of the things I've, I've been reading that's kind of funny, the news, the media is great about doing these little short little one liners that, um, you know, that are, that are just quick talking points and they talk, they call it the Bernie buy and the, I mean the, the Biden buy and the Sanders sell. And they're talking about the stock market. You know, if Biden get, if Biden is chosen, you can buy if, you know, he's a little bit more moderate. If Bernie's chosen, they're saying sell. And so, you know, that kind of gives you the, the mentality or, or the thinking of, you know, even the news in, you just described it in the Washington media post, you know, or the media outlets are, are a little bit nervous about Bernie and it, man, if he locks up California, uh, I mean, he might run away with, with the ticket on the left. Well, here's, here's some numbers for you. This is the site that I really like for politics in terms of, uh, projecting who's going to win or not is, is 538.com that's spelled out the words 538.com. I'm going to start reading it. <laughs> um, it has, these are the projections. And again, I know this is not the greatest podcast in the world because it's 11.06 a.m. on Super Tuesday, and you'll hear this on the day after Super Tuesday, but I think most of these will hold up. He's got Sanders, or it has, the 538, has Sanders winning today. California, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Colorado, um, Utah, Maine, Vermont. It has Biden winning North Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, Alabama, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and uh, the America Samoa, too close to call. In uh, delegates, it has here's what's interesting is this thing is this thing is nowhere near getting decided today. It has projected that at the end of the day, in terms of delegates pledged, it's going to be Biden with 484, Sanders with 463. Bloomberg with 222 and Elizabeth Warren with 162. So uh, it basically they're saying there's a 61% chance as of right now that they'll have a brokered convention, which is would be fascinating to watch. It will be uh, it will be great theater. It will be uh, for those of us who love politics and kind of love the history of politics. It will be almost like being able to go back in time and watch it and, and, and watch a history lesson in, in real time uh, for the Democrats, it will be chaos uh, on the, on the floor there because there is there the, the, the Sanders, the people who love Sanders, they love Sanders guys. I mean, they love him. I mean, his, his base is a passionate vocal base Oh yeah, and, uh, and they'll make noise. So it's got a chance to be really fascinating. Um, and if, um, uh, if Bagala's 
prediction comes true this summer from a political standpoint will be uh, absolute theater in, in middle of July if we're indeed watching the Democrats decide their uh, their candidate on the convention floor while Trump shakes up his ticket. If if that comes to pa- comes to fruition, it'll be one hell of a fascinating race to to uh, to watch, which will be great news for shows like ours yeah, because we'll be, would, able to, it, we'll be able to talk about what, what it means. Yeah. What if what if uh, a million people have the coronavirus during the convention? Oh my god! Well, and you know, and <laughs> hey, here's the here's the thing. Like in California today, there are a lot of of uh, poll poll workers who said, "Nope, I'm not coming." the The polls are undermanned because people don't want to be exposed to it. So mm. if it does grow, and you get, I don't even know where the conventions are this year. I think the Democrats is in Milwaukee. Uh, I'm not sure where the Republican convention is this year, but if if you uh, get to a place where you know health organizations are saying you guys really shouldn't get all those people in those buildings, I mean it, it could get wild. Yeah, and I think one of the other wild cards too is I mean I don't think Bloomberg he has the he has the staying power from a capital standpoint, you know, to stay in this thing, but from a standpoint of of um you know actually having a real run at it he's he's not he's not in he's not anywhere close he's spent It'll be interesting 500 million dollars already which is insane i mean that's what i could do with 500 million dollars <laughs> but you know it'll be interesting to see what he does too with who who does he throw his support behind um you know he seems to be really well organized uh just really late to the to the game and then well, I don't, don't rule that, out don't rule out the possibility of him declaring himself an independent true i mean who would that hurt worse uh, i think I mean, it would I, depend on what was going on in the in the markets but he he would have more of a negative impact on sanders than he would any of the other candidates you know and one of the things that he came out with which is true is he says you know hey i'm a great i'm really good at managing things i'm a good manager um and and I mean, and that's that's someone that's viable in a you know in a cabinet or you know on a team. But man, that certainly does not ignite a group of people to get out and support you. Hey, I'm a I'm a good manager. Where you know Bernie is kind of crazy as some of his stuff sounds. Man, like you're right, he has a very dedicated base. I just wonder if we took the temperature of you know of that base, you know, how many of those people are you know Middle America that's um, you know, that's got a family of, what is it, two and a half kids that's, you know, trying to pay a mortgage, trying to pay off, you know, debts and, and live the American dream. I just, you know, I don't know, I don't know if his base really represents, you know, the quote unquote Joe the plumber, uh, if I can pull one back from, you know, from, from the Obama days. Well, guys, we'll, uh, we, that's a lot for the listener to digest. Hopefully we, uh, we, illuminated a little bit of what it all means i have a feeling that by the time we reconvene next week there will be uh even more developments on all of these fronts for us to talk about so uh reed thanks so much for the time really appreciate you joining us absolutely thanks again for having me guys martin uh we'll uh we'll get back together on uh in a week and we'll have another mind on my money podcast so until then for martin palomo i'm neil mccrady again don't forget pintrust.com p-i-n-n trust.com That's how you get to the people at Pinnacle Trust. Mention that you heard about Pinnacle Trust on this podcast. 
or on the Oxford Exxon podcast, and you'll get 10% off your first year's fees. For Martin Palumbo, I'm Neil McCready. That does it until next week. Take care.